11 as sons and daughters of God to use uh, Luke 15. Parable, parable of uh, uh, the loving father, or better known, the parable of the prodigal son. And in Wesley's discussion, if you'll remember, I talked last week about, he said that in it were represented what he called um, uh, the, the, the sinful person and the legal person. And, and the sinful person doesn't really care about the things of God, and I suppose that was um, characterized by the prodigal that kind of went off his, went off his own way. And then the legal person who um, is keeping the rules, um, living at home, but is not really a son in the house in which he lives. And Wesley talked about both of them and then uh, set up as, um, as the, the model of what he called the, the filial person, the person who out, of, who out of love knows their identity as a child of God and lives out of that identity. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit's work most often, as, as um, I've experienced, is usually um, a joint effort with us. Uh, a, lot of pe- a lot of people believe, and I, they probably have good reasons for doing so, that God instantly touches a life, and that life is never the same, and that person does absolutely nothing, and, and, and uh, their feet don't touch the ground the rest of their life, and they stay on the mountaintop, and uh, that's possible, I just haven't seen it. And I haven't even seen it in the Bible. Um, uh, the biblical, I think, picture is even lives changed by God uh, still remain in, in, in process. And God has this um, uh, wonderful um, uh, parenting spirit that lets us play a role in our own growth and in our own life. And that's a, that's a, that's a gift of God. <clears throat> to do otherwise would be rather Egyptian, I think. Uh, we've been uh, in, on our various campuses thinking about uh, Egypt and slavery, and we'll be thinking about it for months to come. And, and in, in Egypt, magic was very central. And in magic, if you could say the right words, the incantation, have the right uh, implement or tool, and the gods would have to respond and do what you said. And, uh, and, and there, was, there was not much effort other than, other than the right incantation or possessing the right tool. In the scriptures, in the Torah, you get a picture of people that are created with freedom to choose. And that God always um, uh, preserves our freedom, and God preserves God's own freedom. And so we don't manipulate God. And in the same hand, in the same, on the other hand, God doesn't manipulate us, but, uh, but allows us to partner with the Holy Spirit in choosing to live as sons and daughters. But I, I say all that by way of introduction that, that most of the time when we come into recognizing that we are son or daughter in the house of God, it doesn't eliminate all of our orphan tendencies. There will be times that we will continue to live in the house as slaves and not as children. And it is not because God hasn't done God's work in us, and it's not because what God has said about us is not true. I think it's it's part of it's part, I believe, of um, of our of our working with God, and and just that it takes time, 
and, um, and the Holy Spirit's going to work in partnership with us. And so while that is happening, there will be times when we slip into orphan thinking and orphan behavior. Because I believe that, and because I believe a part of the way to uh, own sonship and, and being a daughter in our own life is, uh, is, is through, partially through our efforts in response to God's Holy Spirit, that I think one of the methods, and I'm not alone, others have said this, that we, that we grow in uh, our son and, and, uh, and daughterness is uh, through repentance whenever we find orphan tendencies in our heart and our life. Uh, that one of the ways we will grow more and more to be who God has made us to be and to live in the house as a son or daughter will be to recognize those times when we're not living as a son or daughter and to repent. This is not to take away from God's grace and God's choice and God's action. It is simply to acknowledge biblically that, that we, the Holy Spirit gives us a part to play. So, because I, because I believe that, and um, rightly or wrongly, uh, theologically, I wanted to um, this evening talk a little bit about how to recognize orphanness. So that um, you can work with God uh, on on correcting that, and as you do, grow even more in uh, into living as a child. This journey for me actually started uh, uh, more than two years ago. We were talking about sonship, and um, and I think I was standing up. I was actually in the room facing this way over there, and uh, and I taught, and then I sat down and Scott got up to say a few words about sonship. So I'm listening, and it makes sense to me. And then he says to me, David, you know how Scott was sometimes calling me just to stir things up and ask a question. He said, how do you know when you're being an orphan? And I, I responded um, how I could tell it at home in my relation with my wife. And, um, but that really started me on that journey to try to recognize um, uh, orphan tendencies uh, so that I might cooperate more fully with God's spirit in being who God wants me to be. So this is not meant to produce guilt, nor is this meant to produce condemnation uh, of others. But I'd like to walk you through some of the signs that you, you can recognize of, of that kind of orphan spirit in yourself. And to do that, I like to use examples of what we might see in other people because I got a lot of these, but I probably won't have all of them, uh, so I can't point them all to me. Uh, but I, I just, I, as I mentioned last week, my hope is that you will use this not as a lens, but as a mirror. You know, we can all go around and say, well, gosh, that person really is living as an orphan. <laughs> you can do that. I've done it. Uh, Reed, Reed called me frustrated last night to... Uh, he, he had uh, gone by uh, walking on campus, and there's somebody that had set up a uh, shop and with people carrying signs and telling the various students that they were going to hell. Uh, and he was amazed. I was amazed that's the first time he'd seen it. <laughs> you know? uh, and we saw it frequently on the campuses that I went to undergrad and graduate school. It, it was not like a once-a-year thing. This particular group was telling other people have particular beliefs and activities, they were on their way to hell. And, uh, and so as he was struggling to understand that, I said, 
I said, well, you know, I, they they are, you know, I'm sure they're believers. I'm sure they, they have a very high regard for God's word. I said they probably have some open spaces in their life, which was, I think, right as far as it goes. But I don't know that that's the thing we just need to start saying about other people. So, <laughs> yeah, when I said that, I thought that probably wasn't right. So, it's really not meant to be, uh, to use on others, but rather to look um, uh, at ourselves. So, I wanted to point out uh, some things. I call it, you might be an older brother if. Uh, now, uh, this, I, I'm stealing all of these because he said it better than I did from the guy who used last week, uh, Mark Stibby, in a book called I Am Your Father. And if you're worried about whether it's legitimate, Jack Frost White wrote the abduction. So, you know, <laughs> I need to cover with anybody there. We, we've done it. Um, and what he talks about is there are symptoms <clears throat> and signs of, uh, of, of orphans in our life. And the way he drew the distinction, and we could quibble, it could be semantics, we could change it around, but he talked about symptoms as, as things that people uh, have um, in, uh, inside them, and, uh, but then maybe not everybody sees, but they feel. Um, I mean, he calls those symptoms, I don't know, I might think of them as signs. And then there are other things that you can see in a person, he called those signs. But either way, so sort of ten things that are a little harder to see, but they are indications of orphanness. And then there's, there's, there's some things that are easier to see. Uh, so we're going to divide it um, that way, just some things. And uh, knowing that um, when these things come up, that's probably some sense that there's some, there's some work the Holy Spirit uh, uh, needs to do in uh, our life. Uh, the first uh, hidden thing that might indicate a, a, a large presence of, um, of an orphan, a orphanness in the heart is a sense of abandonment. Sense of abandonment. Uh, and it might not be a sense, it might really be real. You know, like the old, the old phrase, you know, just because, you know, you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not out to get you. You know, you heard that. So maybe people feel abandoned and they really were. Um, they were. Um, Pam was, uh, uh, found an article in the paper a couple days ago in my life, and she was very excited because she's been trying to figure out how to do this, and, and those who know me know I'm technologically challenged, so I couldn't help her. article in the paper was how to unfriend people, and yet they won't know it, how to block them. Because there's one of our friends whose Facebook postings continually are Continually. It's just never positive to say. Um, and he used to be my youth group years and years uh, and years ago. Uh, um, uh, no, it's the evening before Daryl's time. Um, and I'm interested, it's just the, the, the Facebook postings are so, you know, metrolic. They're so. Uh, so, anyway, but as I thought about it, I was, I was praying, um, and, and he came to mind, and I realized. He was a real life orphan. I mean, real life. Adopted by wonderful people who I think did a marvelous job of raising him. It doesn't change the fact uh, of that. And, and, and I, 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 think so, I think there's that sense of abandonment sometimes that people have. You don't necessarily see it uh, in yourself or others. It may not be exhibited, but it, it's more a hidden thing. Another hidden thing is, um, 
is, um, and it could be similar as rejection. People live with a feeling of rejection. Um, when uh, when you live with a feeling of rejection, more than likely there's a, a, a large corporate presence in, uh, in your life. And the fact, the problem I think is not the fact that every one of us gets rejection at some point. Uh, but some people, that's just, that's kind of their, that's who they are. And they own that, and sometimes maybe we take that on. Loneliness. Um, uh, and I, again, this is from Stibby, and, and, but I think he said people, they're extremely lonely on the inside, probably have an orphan presence. I, I think that's real interesting because you probably know the statistics that the number one problem in America is that people self-identify as loneliness. And then USA Today, today, said one of the interesting statistics is more people living alone than ever before. Uh, and, and by choice, they've uh, done that. So it's interesting, but, but uh, intense feelings of loneliness may indicate that. Another one, uh, hopelessness. There's just no way out. Nothing will work, nothing ever has worked. People get hopeless because think about when you're growing up, usually it was your parents who did the problem solving. So when, when, when you're feeling intensely orphaned, the experience is there's, there's no one there to help. There's no one who would help. Um, a, a feeling of worthlessness is another one that might be hidden deep inside that indicates um, uh, a, a part of, uh, uh, of orphanness in, in, uh, in our life. Um, an, another one is insecurity. Um, and that one, sometimes, we'll talk about our physical ones in a minute, but, but extreme feelings of insecurity, you, when I'm feeling that way, I know, I know that there's a part of me that's, that's, that's working. Because to me, to be, um, to be um, a son and an heir is to know that uh, uh, life is not a bottomless pit that I just keep falling. But someone can, will catch me no matter what. I will be caught. And I will, you know, uh, uh, God will be with me and, um, and has a place and plan for me. And so when you don't believe that, I think it, you uh, and live into that. You can be very um, insecure. Uh, sadness. Sometimes um, extreme feelings of sadness uh, can indicate a loneliness. Now, I don't want to practice psychology without a license. So, I mean, there are people who are depressed and it's chemical and there's no shame. Uh, God could, you know, could release them from that, but God may choose to release that with medication, and but that should be. But I'm talking about not clinical depression. I'm talking about just that uh, that feeling of, of sadness um, uh, sometimes overwhelms people, and that could be an indication in our lives uh, that we're not really living and walking uh, as as a child of God. Uh, my one of my favorite ones: <coughs> hypersensitivity. Hypersensitivity. This is a real clue to me. Um, two weeks ago, a person came up to me after the service and, and told me, you know, all the years that you've been here, that's the best sermon you've ever preached. More than that. And my first thought was, what in the heck do you think I've been doing for 17 years? 
mean, and that's just hypersensitivity. I didn't say that. But thinking that, so my, you know, but when I'm thinking that, I recognize that that, uh, that that's an open part of me. Still, that's a part of me. Remember, we talked about last week that performs our uh, for approval rather than from approval. It works for approval rather than working from approval, which is just there's two different ways to go about the work of God. And one of them is going to get you all sorts of bad places uh, eventually. Fear. Again, fear is not necessarily something we see in others um, or maybe see visibly in ourselves, but when there's uh, uh, fear um, inside, I know that I'm, I'm that part of me is orphaned in fear. It's a pretty good indicator. Um, for me, I think hypersensitivity is a real clue for me, and, and fear and insecurity, those are the ones that are really big. The last one on this list, poverty. Poverty in terms of a feeling that I, I, I don't really have anything to give or share. And, and the reason that would indicate an orphaned heart, or one of the easy reasons, is when, when you are a child, you're an heir. You're an heir. And, and you're an heir of the one that runs the whole universe. And you have all of that at your at your disposal. Uh, and you and you have giftings and uh, you can tap in uh, in a sense to the wealth of God. And I'm not talking about a prosperity gospel. I'm talking about an attitude that knows that God is there and that God uh, provides. And so when I'm feeling I don't have anything to contribute, uh, whatever it might be, that's usually an indication that, that I've reached kind of an orphan an orphan. Uh, I get I get a check every uh, and not a check in terms of a financial check, but I get to check this out monthly. Um, in our worship service, we uh, take up uh, money for the uh, uh, Hope Center during the communion offering. And when I open my billfold to see what's there, I, I get a sense of how well that <laughs> when I try to decide what I'm going to put on the altar rail. Uh, and again, that's. You know, not something necessarily anybody would see, but that's something that comes um, inside. Uh, so those are ones he said that are more hidden, uh, but they're real none, uh, nonetheless. Now, these are actually things you can see in other people and you can see in yourself. So again, here's a disclaimer. You know, you can take this list of ten and decide if your spouse is orphaned or not. <laughs> you know, or your neighbor. You, you could do that. But I wouldn't. I, 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 I wouldn't recommend that. Isn't using ego the lens of science or humanity? I think you're exactly right, yes. So, <laughs> not really a vote. So, how do you use these in the mirror? Yourself. Thank you, Adam. Okay, here's some of these. Uh, I, actually, uh, I actually like these 10 better because I think I can save them. Um, uh, and again, he calls them signs, not symptoms. And I, I've always thought symptoms are stuff you can see. But anyway, so but he, he made that division. But these things are less good. Uh, mistrust is the first one. An inability to trust usually indicates uh, an orphan, orphan spirit. Um, can we talk through that? Yes, you can. You can. No, but you. Yeah, and, and because uh, if, if um, I, I can't do better.
better. Let's see if we can connect it. Then Dallas Willard said about Jesus, he said he acted as if the universe was a perfectly safe place in which to exist. Safe place in which to exist. I think um, if I consider myself a child and all things are God's and are from God, then I think that allows me to trust others because ultimately I'm trusting God's provision for them. So when I'm not trusting... Now, let's say you have a close friend and you told them their deepest, darkest secret and they went out and told it to 100,000 people. Uh, you don't have to tell them anything else. That's not mistrust. That's just that's wisdom. But to never develop another deep relationship with a friend because of what one person did, that would indicate, I think, some warmthness. Um, so I think the fact, if I believe that all things are held in God's hands, uh, then I think I'm more trusting. Can I give another analogy that I just sure, really much. So let's, uh, let's hang out with Baptist. He's after my lunch today, friend of mine, and uh, he was talking about this guy who trains dogs that he that he heard from, and he and he's a this guy's a world-renowned dog trainer, and he brought his dogs, and they did this show, and. Uh, trainer says, you know, my dogs do what I say because I love them unconditionally. And he's comparing that to God and how God loves us. And he says, I didn't train my dogs out of fear. Because if you, if you train a dog out of fear or if you are taught out of fear, eventually that dog is going to get 500 yards away and be gone. Or you'll run from the fear. And he says, I didn't, raise, I didn't train my dogs by giving them a treat or giving them something. Because someone's going to have a bigger cookie one day. And my dog is going to You know, and he says, that's the same way the Father has raised us and the Father came to us. He says, you know, I, have, I I chose the parents for the dogs I have. I've named the puppies before they came. And and I've loved them unconditionally through their life. And that's how I've trained my dogs. And I can, you know, he would throw a toy and tell a dog to stay and he'd turn around and talk to the crowd. He says, the reason I can trust them is because I know the dog loves me and I love that dog. You know, I mean, he, he would compare that to the father. So, I mean, just as far as the trust issue, that's just an analogy I've heard today. About. Just, the father trusts us out of his unconditional love and you have that out of some ship, you'll trust that of your own initial love. Thank you. I don't want to miss dog part two. No. <laughs> now, um, one of the things, that you, I don't think I said it last week, but I've said it recently, so that makes it hard for me to remember where I said it. One thing about God's people throughout the scriptures, they always live in the shadow of an empire who can do it bigger and better. They've got bigger cookies in each other. Right. Yeah, the pyramids are already a thousand years old when Abraham. I mean, they got this thing down to a science. Flooding of the Nile, the irrigating, they, they got it down. Uh, and, um, the Philistines have got uh, um, iron. You know, they've, they've, got, they've got the weaponry. Right? Um, Babylon. So, Greeks. The Romans. Um, and so, uh, they, yeah, I love that. There's, somebody's always got a bigger cookie. I mean, and um, <laughs> But out of, out of their love, they're able uh, to be that. So I like that. Uh, a second way that, I, that one might recognize orphanness in yourself, or, well, anyway, hiding. Uh, it's, it's, there is deep and real humility, and Moses had that. He was the most humble man. But he put his face in front of Pharaoh. He put his face in front of 600,000 men. Um, so uh, 
I think it's very helpful for me to distinguish between hiding and humility. And a lot of what I thought was humility earlier in my life, like until like a week ago, was pretty much, uh, I, I realized it's pretty much hiding. Hiding because I don't really believe that I'm that, that, I'm that gifted child. You know? and, and so you tend to hold, uh, you tend to hold back, you tend to hide from situations. And, uh, um, and that and that can look it's deceiving because it can look like shyness or introversion or humility. Um, that's why you just have to have the mirror and say, uh, you know, is, is this where God has placed me? What God's asked me to do, or am I actually disobedient, not doing all that God? Wanted? I, I I wanted to go back a little bit to the safety part. Mm-hmm. I wonder if that's the, the question that you're talking about. Well, it could well be. I mean, he knows how it's going to go. Yeah. And, and he's in, and the, one of the last things he says on the cross, he's quoting a psalm, and he says, uh, in your hands I commit the spirit. You know, basically, my times are in your hands. Um, so he's got that. Uh, and, and, and by, um, if, we, if we could push that, uh, would the implication be that I would be more open in situations if I, if I were felt more secure and safe and, and the Father's love and peace. My, I might, um, solutions or next steps might come from the Holy Spirit in ways that my insecurity and worry will, uh, would block out. Um, so a lot of times uh, uh, the way forward is, is not always um, always the first, the first thing we choose. When we're nervous, we just look for the first door that's open, you know, not realizing if there's a cliff, you know, on the other side of the door or whatever. So it might make me more open to God's reason. And I think in the same way, I, I don't think I listen to others <coughs> as well in, uh, um, when I'm not secure because I'm, I'm not, if I'm not secure in who I am and where I am, then I'm really worried about formulating my response to it's just the right response, just the just the right word. And so I can't really hear anything you say because I'm too busy and insecurity trying to come up with the right thing. So I love that. I think it really closes off a big part of the world God has for us. Um, superficiality. Um, Stevie had a great line uh, that I, I don't I don't remember that being said, but apparently Andy Warhol, if you remember back in the day said, I'm a deeply superficial person. <laughs> uh, but if you're not really sure who you are, it deep, you don't, you're not going to go to that level and let people see that, that level. Um, if, um, I think the tie-in for me is when I'm feeling orphaned, so I'm feeling unloved, I'm only going to present to you my most acceptable I'm going to give you the part of me that I think you can take and you can you can tolerate or 
accept or approve or whatever. When I'm feeling loved and, and secure, I think I can go deeper and, um, and share. The great thing about that, by the way, is that it, uh, my sense is that the more we share of ourselves and the more that's accepted, then uh, it, it actually strengthens our identity as a child of God. I mean, it's kind of like a, it, feeds, it feeds itself. At least it does in, in, in my life. We had this uh, faith walking retreat, and there was some pretty tough homework. And so, so we had to, I, the first night you had to go home and talk with your family and significant others about uh, if you'd broken any promises uh, to them. I was kind of tough, so I waited for the right moment, which was like about 10 minutes before I thought pain would be going to bed. You know, I wouldn't care maybe too much about it, you know. But, but when that kind of worked okay, then like 48 hours later I was back at it with something actually a little deeper about our relationship. You know, it just kind of, it, it, it fed that. And then you know, the crowning one was finally the, the child I knew I'd done the poorest job with uh, that I could begin a discussion with him uh, about our life together. And so the, I think two things happened. One is I, I got confidence and I wasn't rejected when I shared that deep level. So that was, that was, uh, that was okay. I could, I could uh, do that. And the other thing is I think you realized you were loved not for who people want you to be but who, who, for who you really are. So I think when we live superficially we never really know if we're loved. And, but so when I know that I'm deep down loved by God that I can begin to take a risk. Uh, because if I, if I share with you in depth and you reject me again it's not a bottomless pit. I know that God's there to, not only to catch me but Pulling back up. A fourth one uh, says, Stevie, are attachment and addictions uh, to people, to substances, to uh, ideologies um, usually indicate um, an, an orphan status? Chris, do you want to, does that ring true, do you think? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I can see. Uh, is what overall what he's doing there, and uh, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, that's why his word symptoms and signs actually is very accurate, huh? what he's talking about. Because oh, what I'm saying, you know, the, the root trouble is this, is the orphans, all right? And then part of where that comes from is this first group, all right? And things happen in life, some kind of traumatic set of circumstances of one or another, maybe misperceived on our part, or it doesn't matter, right? leads to, there's a fear of rejection going on, inside, right? <clears throat> Loneliness inside, hopelessness inside. So what develops out of that and what everybody else can see is a way to deal with the world, all right? Mm -hmm. to, to medicate what's going on in here, all right? Okay. And so, and to protect oneself. Yeah. So somebody's abused, say say somebody's sexually abused by a, by a, uh, uh, a guardian or parent or something. Yeah, that's not say priest or that. Right. No. <laughs> and, uh, then what's you know what's they're going to walk around feeling first of all rejected, right? Because they're just going to have all these feelings of worthlessness, insecurity, just all fear, all all in them. And then what's going to happen in life is that they're going to walk around and not trust them. Right. So 
that net that's why you see that they can't put and hiding means they won't allow them. what that means I think is that people won't allow themselves to be known right so very secret everything's got to be a secret because then nobody can know what's going on here and then uh, superficiality sometimes that's like a wall of words that people just put up and they're not really saying anything they're just being pleasantries and what have you and that's a boundary right? it's actually a wall so you can't get through and penetrate <clears throat> and then the attachment and addictions you know that's another thing, you know, drink at it, right? And if you're predisposed, right, to be an alcoholic and you start drinking at it, you're going to keep drinking and you're going to be an alcoholic. If you're, if the way you medicate it is by trying to control somebody else, yeah, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Or if I can't, or whatever it is, just to <coughs> medicate that. So, yeah, what are you saying? Okay, so, that rings true. Thank you. Um, it's very dangerous I think you can see both political parties motivated and capturing the sense of people's worthiness. I drove by a sign today that told me to take back the Where did it go? There's that sense of, um, of, of lostness, you know, that, that I kind of wonder about. And, and it's not just one side, both sides. The other thing is, and if our friend Adam Bernard were here, would remind us, I think, that the language of negation that comes out of things we tell We have to put somebody else down so that we have a voice. And, and I hear a lot of that in the political season. Okay, that was it. I'll, I'll move forward. Uh, you said control, Chris. Bing, bing, bing. Next answer. Manipulation. Very good. Uh, I think controlling is a real sense. Um, that orphan part, I can't trust God to deliver life for me. I have to obey Jesus. And we do it in all sorts of good ways. I'm on my third exchange with Amazon um, over a, <laughs> over a uh, book uh, that I desperately want because it will give me all the answers on Exodus. I truly believe it. I used it three years ago. I bought it in Trinity Library, written by a rabbi on the eve of World War II, and I think he's brilliant. I think I think he is deep, but I think God's shown him a lot of good stuff. Um, and so I ordered the book. Well, it gets lost. So, down. So I clutch about that, and I wait for prescribed time, and email them back, and okay, okay, they'll wait a few more days, they said. So I did. Um, and, then, and then today when I got home, I opened it up. It turned out that it's a two-volume work in the latest edition because it's a real fat thing, and they only sent me one of the <laughs> <laughs> And so I go back, and they said, we can get it for you in a month. In a month? That's the first 18 chapters of Exodus. I'll be out of it in a month. Yeah. Uh, but I realized you know, that I kind of, because I wasn't secure enough in the text in a community that interprets the text with me, and the Holy Spirit that opened the text, and my experience in the text, all those things that God has already given me. I was looking at some guy who died in 1945 <laughs> to give this to me. Uh, and it was a real, I, by the way, I went ahead and ordered <laughs> But I can, I can I, for me, it really means I can't trust God to deliver life. I've I, I think one of the things that happens in the garden with Adam and Eve is the snake convinces them that God's holding out on them. Yeah. 
You'll be wise like God. Oh, you won't die. And the whole world is the, the sense that, that there's more and, and God's not giving it to us. So that we have, and it gives in every area of our life. I believe, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I'm in the top 5% of the richest people in the world. I think I'm pretty clear. Most of us in this room are, 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 are pushing that. And yeah, yeah, I think God may be holding out on materially. Yeah. Um, uh, married 35 years, three kids. But, you know, uh, maybe my spouse needs to behave differently, or maybe there was somebody else, and she's thinking the same thing. <laughs> maybe there should have been somebody else. No. But you know, you get that sense that, um, that you've got to arrange things, that it can't be given to you. And so, we don't receive, we grasp. I'll get to that more in a minute. So I think manipulation is a sign. The more controlling I am of kids, situation, spouse, as if, if you know my wife, as if I could. Um, but you know, the, what, the more controlling I am, that's a sense that there's, there's that part. A little bit. There's, there's a part that's, that's feeling very well. Um, I think John Elford, I love the phrase he uses, that we try to arrange life. And I think, you know, that's not, that's, we receive life. Um, you've already heard my lecture that I think Planned Parenthood is like a misnomer. <coughs> In the Bible, it's always a gift. Always a surprise. Uh, and uh, we just, you can't plan and arrange life. You receive it. Uh, anger, number six. Again, anger is something we can see in ourselves and others maybe. Probably, like Chris said, related to something inside. Uh, but usually, um, usually that indicates that I feel like I feel, I'm not a child. The father's not really taking care of me in that sense. So that um, I have to do or get or other people are in my way. Because you threw a party for this son, therefore there's nothing for me. You, in reality, there is everything for the older son. The younger one got his inheritance. The older son still has his. And it's grown as the estate grows. Um, but that, that sense that you know, the, the world is kind of a, just a, one pie with only so many pieces. It's a, or it's a zero-sum deal you get more grace, that must be less for me. When I think and act that way, um, that, that probably, in my life, that's probably a pretty good indicator uh, of the workplace. Now, I will say this. If you're using it as a mirror, anger doesn't necessarily mean that you, you yelled at your kids or kicked the dog. <laughs> Oftentimes, it's, it's what Henry now just called frozen anger, uh, passive-aggressive. So you don't necessarily get that person right then, but you'll plot some ways to get them later. You know? If you're a pastor, you'll say something in a sermon that's aimed for them. Uh, God, the, the, the delightful thing about God is that God makes sure that person never even heard it. Yeah, just, it's just completely wasted effort. Uh, so don't even bother. But, but passive-aggressive people, I think they're they're working. They're just trying. They're trying. Somebody's gotten their share of inheritance in their mind. 
and they they've got to go back and do this work again uh, uh, to to get to get what they have. Um, yes, please. I've experienced anger being connected to the need or desire for justice, and that like the world system, I mean, anger gives birth to murder, and murder is usually about injustice. And the orphan Moses used murder to get justice. That's been a good mirror for me, particularly as I've been kind of researching my own anger issues and stuff. Like, what do I feel injustice about? Like, why do I need to get angry with that person pulled in front of me or my kids aren't doing what I'm doing? That's just a, that's a, that is helpful. Uh, no question, I mean, and we'll get to it. Those of us are here in um, worshiping this weekend on the campuses. I mean, we got Moses killing the slave master, and you don't get yeah, the Canaan using Egyptian method. Uh, one thing I read today is a little troubling. Um, a guy said, though, that, um, that peace may be a Western middle class luxury. And what he meant by that was, I think he meant there are times that you fight for justice, but is that you or is, or is that God? Most of the Psalms of lament call on God to do that. Uh, so anyway, I, that was kind of troubling to me. I'm still thinking about that uh, that phrase, whether I believe that or not. Uh, so I think that person was advocating for Moses. I just, just to me, textually and scripturally, I just don't think Moses killing the guy was was God was God wanted. Uh, Can I ask you a question about sure. anger? Yeah. When someone is angry at you, what Somehow inviting 
a sharing, if that makes sense. And, and one of the things I told Bridget, and I could be completely wrong, is that I think most correction has to be correction has to be done out of relationship. Uh, correction may be too strong a word, but with this sort of dialogue and not having a relationship with those people carrying the signs, what's he going to do? Make a bigger sign that says, right. you know, God's not happy with what you're doing? Yeah, they're also part of the freedom of getting into that trust. That yeah. trust that the Lord's got this. Yeah. Meaning that we have to get free ourselves or let ourselves be free of the fact that we're not going to fix our behavior in other right. yeah. It's not it's not even on our plate. Yeah. Um, so your your job is not to fix them, your job is to love them. Hello. But I think to I think inviting discussion is love. Absolutely. I think but yeah but but that's why I said but you the results are left to God. Does that say it better? I, no, no, that's okay. I was just going to say that it's so common to have that person that takes everything and offends. Yeah. And if okay. I know where my heart is and it wasn't there, then I'll just trust it. Yeah, I, uh, I love that phrase, and I can't remember who said it now, but they said, more violence in the world has been done by people who take offense than by those who set out to give offense. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I think, I think that a lot of that's true. Um, well, I, I, I think, um, again, the, uh, the, the sense of, of living as a child, that you are an heir, that you are loved, and remember, I, that's just not going to happen apart from the Holy Spirit. I, I hate to say that. Well, I don't hate to say it, but I, just, I have to say that. Uh, you know, I just love that you could just look in the mirror and say, and every, and every day and every way I'm getting better and better. That's just not going to do it. But, I mean, I, I had uh, passive aggression was my deal. So um, uh, the counselor I was seeing, Suggested that I take paper clips and put 10 in my uh, right pocket, and every time I had a passive aggressive thought, <laughs> shift it to left pocket and see how many I had at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah, so the first day I had all 10 were in the left pocket. Yeah, and then you get to six or four. So, you know, it, it, it was good, it, it helped the behavior, but it didn't get the root. Right. You know, that's, I, was, I was just a little better holding off passive aggressive thought. <laughs> but I, that's still. You know, my family can tell you that, you know, they're still there. So, at any rate, I still think the, the Holy Spirit, working with the Spirit, and I'll say a few things next week just to kind of wrap it up and put a bow on it. As, well, it should never be wrapped up. It's a live issue in all of our lives. But just talk about, again, about how we might live into it more. So it's a, this week, I understand it's kind of negative, recognizing that. But it'll set up because next week I want to talk, you know, one of the things is about repenting of orphan behavior. So... You can know it when you see it. Uh, number uh, number seven on this list: selectivity. Um, selectivity by what? What he meant by that? The author is that you choose to remember some things and not others, and generally you're gonna re- you're gonna remember slights and offenses. So you don't remember that that day you got an ice cream cone, you know, and that your your dad. You know, gave you one or your mom or whatever. You remember, you know, that your neighbor said something mean to you that day or they threw a ball and hit you, and that's why they took you to the ice cream. Yeah. Um, but I, I think selectivity um, is a, um, can also go if all you remember is the good stuff. It's, um, I was talking to staff about this, and, and I really resonate with that saying that you probably heard uh, that when. I don't know if his mothers do it with their daughters, but fathers definitely with their sons. The older I get, the better I was. 
You know, so we talk about intercollegiate tennis or whatever. Amazing how good I am in my memory. Uh, you know, but again, that's because I'm not whole satisfied. Just that guy tried. I was not awesome. You know, and, and there we go. And uh, so I have to make that. And not only what it did to my kids is they had to be better than other people's kids. That was the real bad thing about that orphanness. When you take your orphanness as a father onto the athletic field, Lord have mercy. You know, it, it's not. It's not going to be. It's not going to be pretty. But I think there's 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 a selectivity. You know, so I, I can remember Pam and I were talking about uh, we're getting ready to go somewhere in a couple weeks, and um, and I was talking about how I hoped the weather would be because last time we were there it rained one day, so I talked about it rained. And she says to me, "Walk," and she said, "I remember that as a very nice day." Yeah. And it's real interesting. She picked out something really positive about that experience, and I'm griping about that we flew 1,500 miles in the rain. So, and I think part of that is, again, the one in control. Yeah, when you're down trying to control the weather, <laughs> you, have the, you have the weather channel out. Yeah, I mean, I've got 10 days from now what it's going to be like in Charlottesville, Virginia. Okay. Uh, this one seems like the same thing, but I've I, I worked on it a little bit, thought about it more, and I think it's different. This one's called fantasy. When you engage in uh, fantasy, which tends to be the myths uh, about your upbringing, and generally it's, it, it's not selectivity because you're taking selectivity and magnifying it, when you either make your parents out to be worse or better than they were. And it can cut either way. You can make them out to be worse to justify the abandonment you feel, the rejection, or the whatnot, you know, and, and you're, you're a victim, and, and it's all their fault. Or, as a form of denial, we can make, well, I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor. I was perfectly fathered in mother, and, and all that. And if you were, you weren't raised on this question. Um, because all of our parents, could do perfectly because we were made to be loved perfectly, and nobody can do that. So, um, you know, I know I realized, and I realized that things. Uh, uh, he's got a chapter in here where you can think about your own experience of being fathered, and there's lots of ways that your fathers can help contribute to this orphanage society, and most all most all of them run under the category of unintentional. My dad did not set out to give me some sort of feeling of abandonment. He was doing surgery. He was delivering babies. But I took it as another baseball game. Dad's not there. Another tennis match. Dad's not there. One time he showed up was my last year in college in the uh, conference tournament, and uh, I was like ranked second in the conference and lost first round because dad watching and I said, why did he come? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, you know, it's, it's nobody sets out intentionally to warp anybody else. Most people don't. Um, so, but I think our fantasy makes it that way or makes it that they didn't do anything wrong. Rather than just, it, let's just acknowledge the fact we got some holes. And it just comes from the territory. And that's why one of my favorite definitions of discipleship is reparenting. Mm-hmm. Can you parent in 
family, a lot most of our families gave us very good gifts. And they gave us some not so good gifts. And but you know, one of the gifts my family gave me is I'm very, very competitive. You know, it wasn't enough to make good grades, you had to be at the top. It wasn't enough to practice and try, you had to win. I mean that whole stuff. And and that that's a very you know, that's a gift that gets you through graduate school. But it puts you on a treadmill that makes it hard to get off. So anyway, uh, so we make them better or worse. Let's just, some reality check about our parents would probably be a wonderful thing. Okay, number uh, nine is misinterpretation. This is like hypersensitivity. Hypersensitivity is kind of the inside condition. What you do with it is you misinterpret. And so, um, you know, five people come through the line, nice sermon, nice sermon, nice sermon, nice sermon. Have a good day. What? <laughs> no problem. You know, you just you can misinterpret whatever whatever said. And again, that that's that's dealing with something in here. A party because he's lost and now he's found. But I screwed up to think of that's some sort of offense to me, and that's taken a goat or a calf or something that being held for my part. Uh, it's, it's a misinterpretation. You can't even recognize love and joy when it's there. I mean, I, mean, I think one of the reasons they crucified Jesus is people couldn't stand it. Perfect love and perfect joy, they didn't know what to do with it. You know, somebody lives that free from guilt and fear, kill them. So anyway, misinterpretation. Okay, um, and number 10 on his list, survey says, independence. Independence. Where people have to do it their way. And it's the only way. Or without any assistance. Usually indicates uh, not a rugged individualist, which is our positive spin, but probably Someone orphaned and not able to live in family, not able to understand that this is all interdependent. Because the fact of the matter is, if I'm a son, then you're probably a daughter or son. And we're all in that same family, and we're all heirs of one another, uh, and we're all in this family business together. But if I'm a slave, then I've got to outdo you if you're a slave. So I've got to prove. I can take my part of the field and do better with it than you can do with your part of the field, and then the owner will notice me, and I'll live another day. Or stay in court. So there's an end of, Usually, folks that don't play well with others in the kingdom, I'm not saying they're not Christian, but I'm saying that when we don't do that, that's probably the sign that's within us. Um, okay? All right, before we, before we stop, this is tentative thinking. And I really do invite your uh, going home, thinking about it. If you have other thoughts, email me because I need a bigger list. But what I'm thinking about is how would you recognize if an entire church was acting out of order, out of an orphan spirit? What might that look like? And the answer is I don't know, but I have some thoughts. So I hope you'll augment them. Um, usually, I think... A driven church um, 
if you see drivenness in the leaders, that's probably a large elephant. They have to do something for God. They have to accomplish something for God. Uh, they, uh, so there's a real uh, driven behavior. Um, I think that a church where guilt is uh, used um, is, is uh, not existential guilt. Um, I mean, there is a Holy Spirit convicts us when we stray off the path to get us on there. But, but just guilt as a primary motivator um, probably indicates in my mind the Northern Church. So, for example, I will read the USA Today or the or whatever paper you saw online that you know uh, the the number of people with no religious faith is growing. You know, Protestant denominations is declining. You know, church attendance is now measured probably at 17.5%. Um, there's a less than 4% chance that uh, kids under 18 right now will uh, grow up and uh, practice the faith. Uh, and so I can just lay that on you thick and then and recharge out of the room. We've got to do something. On the surface, I think that looks pretty good. Underneath, I, I, underneath, I wonder how much is guilt and how much is love. Um, and that's that's a real thing to struggle with. One of the things I think churches are really good at is feeling bad. Bad about not fulfilling the Great Commission. Bad about not... Um, and so when you feel really good about feeling bad, that to me may be an indication. I, I don't know. I, you may not agree with that. I just... I, I wonder, I wonder, I'm not saying... That we're not to do anything because I believe, which I'm going to allude to next week more, but that one of the great things about being an heir is you are part of the family business. And the family business is the advancement, participation advancement of the kingdom of God. Bringing shalom to chaos, bringing, putting, bringing heaven to earth, aligning things with God's will. I mean, there are things to do, but they're out of love. They're not out of guilt. Um, I fear. Um, we we have a uh, a guy that's related to somebody in our church, and he's on the staff of this very big church. So one day he came and talked to our church staff, and we said, you know, what's it like to work with Pastor So and So, who's like a very famous pastor, and I guess one of those famous in the country. You know, do you ever see him? The staff member looked at us, kind of shook his head, and said, "You don't want to see him. So if you see Pastor So and So." That's kingdom business. It's got to be done right. Excellence honors God. You just go right down the line. And if you don't do it right, then, you know, the job's outgrown you, and there's just all sorts of euphemisms that work. People get ushered out the door for the sake of the advancement of God's kingdom. Well, um, I'm wondering about that. That seems to be fear-driven to me, which assumes that I can't do the best that I can and leave, leave it in God's hands. Well, I was just thinking about the entertainment and if we are all orphans at like an orphan church, then and we're all orphans, then how are we to be in the community? How do we have do we have all the characteristics of distrust and fear 
defining and architecture and so forth. And then how would we feel about them in prison? How would we? Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I think it'd be very different. How would we? Uh, yeah. In community. Well, I, mean, I guess we'd be doing the business the way a slave would do it. Or do we be ushering people out the door? I'm sorry? We'd be back committee. Yeah, I'm perfect. And we'd be ushering people out the door because we wouldn't have compassion or mercy for their journey. Because you don't just automatically become an orphan to a non-orphan. It's like a journey, like this. It is a journey. So you wouldn't have any compassion for that. I would think that would be another thing. I think compassion in, in uh, uh, orphan churches would be in store of supply. Now, please, I have an orphan heart. heart so I, by definition, I mean, I, I get this. I'm not saying it's somebody else, not me. So I, I, I would hate for you to walk out and think, oh, I'm glad in our community we have none of those. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, but I'm thinking about because... I feel like um, one of the consultants I heard say this. I said, you know, I, I work a lot of churches. He said, and I run into way too many tired people. People working hard for the kingdom, but they're they're working for rest, not from rest. Uh, joyless Christians. I mean, I just anyway. I think we contribute to that as well. uh, Another thing I think is. Um, I, orphan churches are highly competitive, and, uh, and I, you know, I've done that. I, I do have a story to tell, but David, I wonder if uh, one of the signs would be holding on tightly to the status quo, and perhaps it has to control, perhaps it has to fear the unfamiliar. But I see such great tension between. Okay, you know, we only had 
7,000 last week. Yeah, what have been up to? Well, not really much. Well, Max and Kato did invite me to the speaking tour with them, and we're doing it. And it's just all sorts of ways. It's like, I, I mean, I guarantee you cannot one up a pastor. No, I mean, you try tonight if you want, but generally you can't. Generally you can't. And I think part of that, I mean, said it uh, in his other book last week. I think the evil one's one of his favorite tactics is to take sons and daughters and turn them back into slaves in the house of God. That's, I mean, that, and, and, we, and we get this. Uh, control. I think a, a, a church very tightly controlled probably may indicate an orphan spirit. I, I get this from Egypt. One of the things that the, the missing volume of the book that I don't have said uh, is that in Egypt, everyone is in charge of somebody else. All the way down the line. And then you had that great observation by Rob Bell. That, you know, you've got the slave master beating the slave, and then the captain of the slave master beating the slave masters, and all the way up, and then you've got Pharaoh, and Pharaoh knows if he doesn't perform his duties, the Nile doesn't flood this year, and the sun doesn't come up. And his deal was, as only Rob Bell could do, he said it much better now, but basically, it's an oppressive system all the way down. Pharaoh's oppressed. He's a victim. If he doesn't get in the temple or have his designate priest at the right time, the sun's not going up. And then another one, Nile's not flooding. Nile doesn't flood. It's going to be bad. So, I mean, it's all because no one can redeem. They have to manufacture they have to produce. It's a culture of production with or without straw. That's the whole, whole deal. Um, I think um, I think orphan churches are grasping. And Bob talked about uh, the holding on to what is. I also think grasping uh, for what they can get or what they can make. Rather than seeing what God is doing to receive that and then become a part of it. Um, Daryl had a great observation on the, about the, the uh, I think you were one that Daryl talked about uh, Moses' sister um, is watching Moses and the little ark. And, you know, if, if I'm Moses' sister, I'm steering that baby. You know, I'm getting it over Pharaoh's daughter, if I think she might be the right one. And it says in the scripture she's did it this. She's going to watch and see what God's unfolding here. And then that's her next move. Then she walks into that. Need somebody to nurse that child? I, I, I think, you know, you want to say more about that? I know it was a really good picture of the way it turned out. And that it is uh, immediately followed in the text by Moses um, going to the, the slave that's being beaten. And the text says that he looks this way and that she taught us means. It could be. It could be. And he looked around to see if somebody was going to do something. And when when he determined that no one was going to do anything, including God, <laughs> right. he took action himself. <laughs> so you have this picture of the sister that waits and sees what God does and, and then follows, joins what God's doing, and then right after that, Moses doesn't wait. He takes his own action. It doesn't work out as well. I, I thought that was not only a beautiful picture for life of faith, but I think Maybe life of the church. Remember the old Henry Blackaby thing? You know, find out what God is doing. Join it. Jesus said, I can only do what I say. I mean, that's part of submission. It, you know how submission is? is it if I say, 
God, here's the vision I have. Yeah, if you'll do these things, you know, within five years, God, we will. Um, I could be wrong. So anyway, I'm thinking about that, trying to figure out, can this be translated to a church level? You know, what happens in an individual life, or to a community of faith level? And if so, what kind of things might mark it? Can you all think of other things right now? Or I'll accept the emails, too. Can I comment on some of the ones that you said that that jumped into my mind as a church that defends anything other than the least, the last, and the law? So if I'm I'm defending the doctrine, or I'm defending the institution, or I'm defending God, what's the church in Florida that... Protests. Oh, it's not Florida. It's uh, crazy. Westboro, Westboro. Yeah. Kansas. Yeah. 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 I discussed Westboro last yeah. night. Yeah. So we have to stand up and defend God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, we're not anything other than that. Thank you. That was good. You kind of already said it, but it, um, like I think of it in terms of uh, a kind of competition where like uh, churches feel like they have they have to carve out a niche for themselves mm-hmm. instead of just joining in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'll give it very well-known consultant. Consults with two or three churches here in San Antonio. Uh, he says, ask your church, what is it that makes you different from 10,000 other churches? Hopefully nothing. But <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not what he's saying. <laughs> it is that, and you market that, and you go after that. that that's, that's a very helpful... And by the way, I mean, I think people mean well when they do this. I'm just yeah. wondering if some orphan stuff has snuck in. Uh, Chris, I'm just saying. I have one. The, the thing that we learned with about the triangle, mm-hmm. you know, if your whole, just not your leader, but all your leadership little structures in there are at the top of the triangle here and nobody can get past, yeah. right? As right. opposed to upside down where the leader's at the bottom of it pushing right. everybody out. Yeah. And Chris, we do expect a full report from your time with Rod Belcher. Yes. <laughs> we do expect to mooch off that. I'm going for two days, not next week, but the following week. Pat, Pat and I for two days with 90 people. So, so uh, Donna and then Jordan. Uh, so an orphan church is more like a church that looks like the world, like it's more like a competitive, like a business. I mean, I know, you know, it's more like, okay, we have to be better. We have to defend God. We have to be better than the other church. We have to have more people than the other church. Our pastor has to be preach better than that. Like the CEO has to be better because he's going to bring in, you know. So it's more of a worldview than than a God view, than a spiritual view, than a way that we work, we walk with the Lord. Yeah, I, I think that might something. Daryl was your dad. He said. 17, 8 years ago when the church, our church where we were was talking about how we, they need to be more like a business and said, okay, then we should take over the Lutherans. I think they're right.
seriously that our ushers pack. We're competing. We're competing right here. Well, what I was gonna, what I wanted to kind of talk about at the end, or, or ask you if you're gonna address this, because what we're doing right now is we are using this as a lens. We're using it as a lens to look at churches. But what I was gonna say is it's actually important to use this as a lens in the right context and heart. That sounds hard to say after what we just talked about. I'm trying to go against what you're saying because our first tendency, well, <laughs> thank you. Uh, well, it's I. I our first tendency is always to go, yeah, that person's an orphan in this way, that, and so on and so forth. But there is, like, uh, from a leadership, like, as ministers um, and leaders in the church, there's a legitimate way to apply this in love so that, like, in the situation you were talking about, when somebody's coming at you, you recognize there's something going on underneath the surface, something deep and important. And when we honor that person, we love them, then we want to try to get to the root of it at the right time and recognize what's going on so we don't take offense. Does that make sense? Anyway, but... Yeah, I, think I would characterize why I'm asking this is, it, uh, is I'd like to write about it and it would be the form of a lover's quarrel, really. Just to offer and to offer a note of grace. I mean, we're trying so hard to this church. Yeah. And, you know, our leaders are, are you know, just pouring... Heavy stuff on. Yeah, man. Well, I, th- I think no. I think it's an awesome exercise. No, I and I agree. I think it's an awesome exercise. I just think that there's. I think like any, you know, anything, any grid or you know, like a, any system that we use when we lay it on something, we have to realize like, okay, there's a good way and a bad way to do this. And so, right. Um, I was going to say joining in with civil religion, but I think deeper to the root of that is just where you're placing your identity and where your hope is. Um, so civil religion would be one of the symptoms of that, but there would be probably several several more. What's civil religion? It's like a God and country kind of waving the flag, and that's, that is our religion. Nationalism. Right. I mean, does that make sense? People but so it's an easy blending of, of country with the religion and not a uh, first recognition that our first citizenship is in the commonwealth of heaven. And our second. Is that still not ringing a bell? That's fine. Okay, well, we'll and Ryan will discuss it later. No, no, no. You know, it occurs to me, first of all, that uh, you could go through this list and find a corporate example, church example. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was thinking about uh, fantasy. Uh, he used the parental memory 
far as Dave pointed out some weeks ago, if it was like a genius, Wesley had to have said it. So, there's <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I can see that too. Yeah. Well, it kind of dovetails on what he said. Um, you know, this whole family picture of that upside down triangle. Mm-hmm. You're right. individual, highly competitive. You're not, I mean, that's not a family. That's not a picture of a right. family. And it, so, you can, I was say, so you're, you can only pass on tradition, but not inheritance. Not inheritance. And a family, yeah. by definition, you know, they parent, they parent their children. So there's mothers and fathers, and there's inheritance that passes Inheritance, not just Thank you. Um, everybody, do you get, uh, and I'll let it go after this, do you get the triangle? Do you understand that metaphor? Metaphor, like in a typical church, like a triangle, there's a few leaders at the top, and that's, there's not much room for people to lead, to act, to minister. And then when you turn it uh, upside down, what happens is uh, you get uh, the leaders on the bottom pushing people up. Well, it's like in a family, like fathers and mothers the, want their kids to do better than them. Right, yeah, what kind of parent am I if I hope? Yeah, that's a great point. So that's a great point. I, think that's, I always think that triangle, I always think of parents in terms of like parenting. So that triangle, I don't know, some of you may remember when Adam came back last year or year before. Last year, I mean, he, he had that. He has a PowerPoint on it. It's a crazy, crazy. It's a PowerPoint. I almost came back Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, Anyway, but that was on a screen. However, it got there, and I appreciate that you still have interest in the subject. I, I really will try to. You know, move our discussion off that after next next week. Though I think it's it's going to be in our lives, both individually and corporately, consistently an issue. And if I can end the fish, say remember that it is biblically and historically uh, the justification by faith, which is so important, and we preach so often, teach, and adoption were twin pillars. Um, and the way Stibby likes to say it, go back to the Father and Son, is that the robe is the justification by faith, and the ring, the family ring, is the adoption, but they were both, both there. So, um, at any rate, I, I do want to kind of take one more run at it um, uh, next week, and then we'll, uh, with that foundation, we'll be able to go to uh, other things. So, let me pray, and uh, God, I, I bless you for... For loving us, for fathering us. I thank you for the privilege of calling you daddy. I thank you for the inheritance uh, that we enjoy, not in the future, alone, but now. And I pray that we might uh, live freely uh, and lavishly uh, as your children. In your son's name, we pray. Thank you.